We've been studying the book of Genesis again and through all three chapters what we have seen thus far is God is doing everything. And everything that God does is perfect, it's awesome, and it's almighty. And then whenever Adam and Eve get a couple verses to do things, just like us, just like humanity, they really mess things up. They mess things up and they make a mess of things. And truly, one of the people we should look at in chapter 3 is that Satan himself has made a mess of things. Chapter 1 and 2, God has made a perfect universe, a perfect planet, a perfect garden, a perfect place to live. He's made a perfect plan for man and woman to populate the earth with no pain. Uh, really, work is something that it's a joy. There's no sweat involved. There's no tireless hours involved. And there's nothing but joy and gladness in this perfect universe that God has made. But Satan has come in. He's been able to deceive Eve and Adam did not turn away from Eve, but he gave into her request and he gave into sin, going against what God had asked of him and commanded him to do. Yet, we need to remember none of this took God by surprise. None of this took our God by surprise. In his sovereignty, in his power, in his knowledge, in his majesty, he knew that all these things were going to take place and all these things were going to happen. We have to remember nothing takes God by surprise. That he finds himself in a sticky predicament where he has to pull a MacGyver or a Cuban hack and uh, try to figure things out, right? That's not what our Lord does. We can look at a couple verses in the New Testament. We can look at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11. I'll just go in order from left to right. Ephesians chapter 3. If you would turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11 it tells us this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulation on your behalf, for they are your glory. Now let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. You can keep turning to the right in your Bible. And we'll read in chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And it reads, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. New King James Version, it'll say before time began, or the King James Version will say before the world was made. And God, he saw all these things before he even said, let there be light. And again, the amazing power of the God that we serve, the God that wants to have a relationship and friendship with each and every one of us. Finally, let's turn to 1 Peter Chapter 1, you can keep turning to the right in your Bible. 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we'll read verses 18 through 23. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood 
as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Again, the mighty power of our God. None of this took him by surprise. There was no accident. He knew what was happening. He knew what went down. And he had already prepared ahead of time what was going to take place and how he would redeem mankind. And again, the great power of our God. When somebody's able to call things out before they happen, and usually people sort of look at that, right? Babe Ruth and his famous uh, pointing with his bat, everybody looks at that and, hey, that's pretty cool, right? He's able to point where he's going to hit the home run. How much more are God able to see everything and live in everything and just the power and majesty of God Yet again, he sent his son to die for us, to give us a way to have a relationship, friendship with him. He died for us so that our penalty of sin could be washed away by his own payment. The amazing power and love and grace of our God. We can turn back to Genesis chapter 3 and now we'll really dive into verse 15. Again, God, he has made everything perfect and Eve... Uh, for a basically a fruit salad or for a couple of fruits at the Yupik or at Nosberry Farm has totally wrecked this planet. It's turned it upside down. And now Adam, knowing better, has decided to side with his wife instead of siding with the God that created him and her and everything that's going on around him. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. There's been a crime committed, and now God, being a perfect judge, is giving his sentencing. First to Satan, then to Eve, and then to Adam. We see here that the enmity is between the seed of Satan and the seed of Eve. Yet hopefully we've been through biology class. We know women don't carry seed, right? Women, they carry the eggs. But yet this is a picture of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. How in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. It tells us therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold a virgin will be called, will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. Again the power and majesty of our God. That from the very beginning he's already thought of. He's been through. He's seen it all. How everything is going to take place. And how everything is going to happen. In Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 through 17. It tells us therefore since the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And that's just the power of sin. When we are in sin, we are enslaved to it. 
right? People hold meetings on a weekly basis or a monthly basis of their slavery to a certain sin or to a certain vice. And they can run from it for a while, but sooner or later they fall back into the hands of that cruel master. Yet what Christ has done is he's come, he's lived perfectly, he's been able to obey and fulfill every single prophecy in the Bible, and then he dies taking our place, resurrecting from the dead, taking all power away from sin and death and the devil. And now he wants to give us the same power. He wants to give us the same freedom. But will we answer that calling? Or will we simply say, I'd rather be a slave to a cruel master? One of the amazing things here in verse 15 that a couple scholars pointed out, and I believe it to be the truth, is that Satan did not realize that him being able to bruise the heel of Christ would be his undoing, right? Him thinking, man, if I kill the Son of God, how powerful, how mighty would that be? Yet in him doing so, he found his head being crushed. And as the venom of a snake, it's in its head. The venom, the sting of death, is, it's gone. It's abolished by the power of Jesus Christ. David Guzik, he says, For God to see the defeat of Satan as Satan's first flush of victory shows God knew what he was doing all along. You see, God's plan wasn't set back when Adam and Eve sinned because God's plan was to bring forth something greater than man and innocence of Eden. God wanted more than innocent man. His plan was to bring forth a redeemed man. And this is what true love is. True love is being loved even though you don't deserve it. Being loved even though you don't deserve it. But sadly, in our pride, I think we all think we deserve the love that we get, right? I deserve the love I get from my parents. I deserve the love I have from my spouse. But then once you mess up one time or two times or ten times or 20,000 times, right? Hopefully you realize, man, I don't deserve this love. What I deserve is my tires getting slashed or my, my car getting keyed or getting beat up or various other things. This is what I deserve. And when we receive things we don't deserve, it should bring us to humility. It should bring us to humility and to a true love of God. Now not taking it and running with this freedom to sin more and more, but it should cause us to want to love him even more because I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this and yet he loves me and he cares for me and he died for me taking my place of death. Do we love the Lord more? Right? Family, do you love the Lord? Not just by your mouth, but by your actions. By your actions, do we truly love the Lord? 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it tells us, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The payment for our sins. Our ransom being paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. Sin, it has a penalty. And sin, it has a payment. And unless we come to repentance to God, we're going to have to pay and the payment for sin is death, and the payment for sin is death eternally. Unless we turn to Christ, we repent, really saying, I'm sorry, I've messed up, it's my fault, I need you. And now changing our lives and allowing Him to change our lives through His Word and through His Holy Spirit. Apart from that, we know that's the only way into heaven. We know the only way into heaven is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He is the way, He is the door. He is the everything. And apart from him, we can do nothing. 
First John chapter 5, verse 5, it tells us, Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And in Romans 16, verse 20, again, God, He wants to give us this power to crush Satan and to crush sin. Romans 16, verse 20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, and the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Again, it's important. God is the one that does the crushing. It's not us. We shouldn't hold ceremonies about how we're going to beat up the devil or how we're going to do anything to him. We know that in Isaiah, at the end of time, we'll be looking at Satan saying, this is the one who caused all this pain and problems, right? This is the guy that caused me to make so many stupid decisions and mistakes. Yet, are we giving him that power? Are we giving him that strength? Or are we truly turning to our Lord, repenting for our sins, accepting him not just as our Savior, not just as our insurance, but as our Lord, as our boss. Again, we've talked about that, right? Who's the boss? God's the boss, right? He's the one that has created everything, formed everything, planned everything. And it's not through our own might that we can oppose Satan. I love Ken Graves. He says it's not just fighting another man, right? Everybody has a lucky day in the ring or a lucky day in the cage or at the flagpole at school. So we put you in front of a seasoned boxer that all he does for a living is box, box, box. And all we do for a living is sit at a computer desk or at a retail store or do different things. And all right, let's fight and let's see what happens. No, it would be putting us in the ring and taking a thousand pound silverback gorilla, right? Putting a singlet on him, putting on some gloves and saying, all right, go. That's what it would be for us to defeat Satan. Yet the Lord, he gives us the power because he's the one that has already defeated him. So in what reality are we living in? Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And this is how we get this power that Christ has already fought for us and won for us. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, before the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this, for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Again, family, this is the power of Christ. This is Jesus crushing Satan's head and all his venom that in his suffering, that's translated in Christ dying in the flesh, it gives us a way to live in the Spirit. And the only way we live in the Spirit is when we die to our flesh, when we die to our sins. That so often we'll come in and we'll go through the same struggles. Man, I still have this relationship and this friendship. I still deal with the drinking. I still deal with this. And they just stop doing it, right? That's what somebody will tell you. Have you ever thought just stop doing it? Ever thought just cutting off that friendship or that relationship or doing something different? And usually the answer is, but I can't. 
right? I can't. And we need to render those things dead. It's not difficult to say no and live for the Lord. It's not that difficult. Well, it is difficult. We will have trials. We have tribulations. But it's much more difficult to live a perfect life and then die for somebody else's sins and mistakes and then resurrect from the dead. I don't think any of us can do any of those things, right? So what will we do? What will we hold on to? And now the warning, the concern for us here in First Peter is he says, hey, you've already wasted enough of your life doing these things. Will you now go back to them? And what does the church look like? Some of the activity in verse 3, it's the church that they pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Family, is this who we are in Christ? Is this the freedom that we hold on to? And we'll see in a little bit. Again, there's no freedom in sin. But there's pain and there's a cost to be had with all sin. In Romans chapter 6, we can turn there now. Romans chapter 6, we'll read verses 6 through 12. And it reads, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. And now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. And death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God and Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Again, the power of our Lord, that we don't have to stay in the same sins that we are in. He's crushing inside. He's killed the snake, and now we just need to live in that. And again, there's a reality how Paul says, man, all the things I don't want to do, I end up doing, and all the things I do want to do, I don't do. So what's happening? What's happening within me? And we will have this battle of our flesh versus the spirit. But how much power and strength and training are we giving our spirit? And how much power and strength and training are we giving our flesh? Again, parents... Uh, young adults, kids, we live in a sinful world. So if we're working 40 hours a week or we're going to school 40 hours a week and it's sin everywhere, how are we adjusting the scales? How are we following our Lord? How are we seeking the Lord? Is it too much to spend 10 minutes with Him or an hour with Him a day when we spend the rest of our day dealing with this world and the sin in this world? We need to balance the scales, right? You can't be eating unhealthily for eight hours a day, right? Donuts for eight hours a day. I'm going to get a quick 10-minute run in, right? Balance the scales. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Soon you'll be rolling 10 minutes a day, right? Instead of running 10 minutes a day. And it's the same thing with us and the Lord. If the only time we spend time with God is in church for an hour, we're not going to be able to beat it. We're not going to be able to do it. There's just such an onslaught of sin and temptation in our job, in our school, in our television, 
in our radio, in our co-workers, in our parties, that, man, we need to be filled with the Lord. We need to combat the enemy. We need to do something. We need to be on the offensive and not just think, hey, if I just sit in the church for an hour each Sunday, I'm going to be holier. Same thing, man. I'm going to sit in the LA Fitness an hour a week, and I'm going to get ripped, right? I'm going to get jacked if I just sit in the gym an hour a week. It's not going to happen, family. We need to be on the offense. And thank the Lord, He gives us grace. That when we fall, when we do those things that we don't want to do, He doesn't say, you're right, donezo, you're done forever, you're messed up, doesn't give us the thumbs down. He says, hey, let's get back up. Will you humble yourself? Will you say that you're sorry? Will you say that you're wrong? All right, come on, let's go. Let's get back up. Let's get after it. And that's what Christ wants to do with us. And family, this is the good news. We don't have to be slaves to sin. Jesus has died and resurrected to free us from the bondage of sin. You don't have to be a drunkard. You don't have to be addicted to gossip. You don't have to be sleeping with someone you're not married with. You don't have to be in pornography. You don't have to be lying to your boss. But many of us, we choose to do those things. Because sin, it always tastes good for a season. But verse 16, we continue reading back in Genesis chapter 3. The Lord, He's spoken to Satan. Now He's going to speak to Eve and give her her sentencing for this sin and for what has gone on. And it reads, To the woman, He said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. And in pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Some versions say, I will multiply your sorrow and your sorrow and pain and childbirth. And for women throughout and the course of history, they have been seen as a weaker person and a weaker being. And such is not the case. But it's also important for us to note some people, they look at the Bible, they look at Christianity and say, and the New Testament is chauvinistic, right? It says that women should be quiet. They can't braid their hair. They can't wear gold. They can't do all these things. Family, may we know that Christianity and Jesus has done so much for women and for balancing the scales of, again, God's plan. That in God's plan, the roles He has given is not that one is better than the other, but it's just two people fulfilling their roles. No one is better than the other. You need both so that the family can run smoothly. The man's not better than the wife and the wife's not better than the man. It's just that. This is God's order, and this is God's plan, and we need both to run. But in the time period when Jesus is sitting with women caught in adultery, in the time period when Jesus is allowing women to worship Him, or to wash His feet, or even speak to Him, women were looked at as cattle. Women were looked at as just cattle, as just a piece of property. And again, the Pharisees and the people were blown away that Jesus would sit down and speak with a woman. Or that he would sit down and speak with children. And if you think there's oppression within Christianity, go go to the Middle East, go to other parts of the world and look at how they treat women and ladies. And family, may that never be once named among us. So the sorrow that women deal with, yes, they deal with a lot of pain and sorrow. Then it goes to pain in childbirth. I was looking at studying this a little bit and it's... Never thought about it. Human pregnancies and births are far and away the most painful and for the weight of the baby, the longest pregnancies. Never had a dog. I've had a couple of fish and things like that. But when animals give birth, there's no screaming or pain or ventilating or you got to breathe right. 
the daddy dog doesn't sit next to the mommy dog and talk her through it. All right, this is how you got to do it. You got to breathe. Do the pain that women go through is so much more than any other species through pregnancy. And the nine months for a five, six, seven, right? What's the record? I don't know, 15-pound baby? It's a long time. I don't know if that's the record or not. That's my guess. But in studying this fun fact, elephant pregnancies are on average 645 days. Whereas humans are 270. So ladies, people do have it worse than you. Animals, they do have it worse. So just remember that. When you're having a bad day in your pregnancy, hey, at least it's not twice as long or more than that. But the pain that women need to go through, it's all as a result of the curse. It's all as a result of sin. And I wonder if Adam would sit there next to Eve as she's giving birth. Honey, was it really worth it? You know, he, I know he didn't say that. Hopefully he didn't say that, right? But man... <laughs> Was that fruit really worth it? Where we're at right now with Cain and Abel, was it really worth it? And it's the same thing for us in sin. At the end of the day, nine months afterwards, when we're paying for that sin, was it really worth it? Next, women would be cursed with a desire to rule over their husbands. I know, right? We, we don't even realize that. Uh, but in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, it gives us an idea and a picture. It's the same word in the Hebrew, yet your desire will be for your husband. It's not just a desire to love him and want to be with him. But in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, this is God speaking to Cain and warning Cain, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And just as sin's desire for Cain was to master him and destroy him, to be able to murder his brother Abel, the desire for women naturally is going to be to rule and lead over the man. And ladies, there's no wonder why it's so difficult at times to submit to your husbands. There should also be no wonder why the rise of feminism that we see in our nation, in our world, is growing at a rapid pace. And it's no longer about being equal. It's about them being greater or more important or stronger than men. We need to have a biblical perspective on family, on men, on women, on children, on sex, on male, on female, on everything. We need to have a biblical perspective. Why? Because this is reality, family. Because who's the boss? God's the boss. Jesus Christ is the boss. And if we go to anything else, it will lead to pain and trial and more and more hurt. And studying this, I thought it was interesting that the commentators, they quoted a woman on this verse. But Susan T. Foe, she says, As a result of the fall, man no longer rules easily. He must fight from his, lead, from his headship. Sin has corrupted both the willing submission of the wife and the loving headship of the husband. The woman's desire is to control her husband, to usurp his divinely appointed headship, and he must master her if he can't. And this is the friction in so many marriages, or even worse, this is the man that has just become a throw on his recliner, right? He just says, honey, you want to rule? Right? Dale, you go for it. You rule everything. I'm going to just rule my little sofa and my little remote. You rule everything else. And sadly for some women, they are fine with that. And that's what they want and that's what they desire. But family, that's not the best. That's not the best thing that God has for us. And gentlemen, may we not be elbowing our wives saying, see, I told you 
I got to be the one to tell you what to do. We need to remember how God and Jesus tell us to lead. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 20. And this is important. If you're a male or female here, if you have a job, if you're a boss, if you have any level of responsibility, it's important for us as Christians to think about the Lord. To think about the Lord and what's important and what we should be doing. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, it tells us, But Jesus called them to himself. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. And men, when we get home after a long day of work, is this what we are seeking? Are we seeking someone to serve or am I seeking to be served? This is the way we must live. This is the way we must lead. Why? This is the way Jesus leads. He was servant to all. So may we remember that. For the husband or for the wife, may we remember that the way we love is to serve one another in humility. And again, there's a reason why in nearly every epistle it speaks about the roles of the husband and the wife. Why? Because it's hard for us to do. It goes completely contrary to what's natural in our bodies and in our feelings and in our emotions and in our desire. Right? Pastor Zach, are you going to tell me that I got to submit to that dummy? Right? He doesn't even know where his pants are. He doesn't even know where the milk is in the fridge. He has to ask, where's this or where's that? Right? I'm, that's what I do like every day, right? Amanda, where's... Oh, here, I found that. That's what every guy does. Every guy does that. Mom, where's this? Or honey, where's this? And you want him to lead the home? But that's the order that God has given us. And husbands, may we be loving as Christ loved the church. Dying for her. Serving her. We'll look at later on never blaming her, but taking the blame for her. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18... And this is the only way we can do this, family. The only way we can do this and be obedient to God is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, Ephesians 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. We need to be doing these things. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do we worship the Lord? When was the last time we just said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this day you've given me. Thank you for the freedom I have. Thank you for saving me that I'm not damned to hell forever. Lord, thank you that you have a relationship with me and I can pray to you. I can thank you. I can talk to you about the rough things going on in my life. Are we being grateful? Are we thanking people saying, man, I'm grateful for you. I appreciate you. Do we do anything like that? And finally, in verse 21, are we being subject to one another in the fear of Christ? That I respect Jesus so much, I'm willing to be subject to another person. I'm willing to say, hey, that's what you want. All right, let's do that. If it goes according to the word, as long as it doesn't go against the Bible. 
Verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own body. But he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does to the church. Husband, are we nourishing our wives? Are we cherishing them? Right? When was the last time we thanked our spouse for what they have done? And in the day and age that we live in, man, are you married to the person that you're living with? Are you married to them? Are you doing things biblically? Because if you're not doing it biblically, it's going to cause more pain. It's going to cause more hurt. Again, we can only live life in God's plan when we're fully submitted to Him and when we're filled with His Holy Spirit. Our curse because of sin is to live completely opposite of God's perfect design. It's not an accident when you obey someone. Usually it takes a lot of work and effort to obey someone. I've yet to see any of my three kids accidentally obey me, right? Accidentally clean their room or accidentally do what they're told. Obedience, it takes thought and purpose. And family, may we have thought and purpose behind our life saying, am I being obedient to the Lord? We go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And it's important to remember, man, just the power of God and the love and grace and mercy that God had. It's completely within God's grasp to just wipe out Adam and Eve and just hit the reset button, right? And now it's just a new couple. Let's make that tree a little bit smaller. Oh, redo. Okay, let's put a moat around the tree. Okay, let's reset it. Let's put a fire around the tree or make the fruit look super crazy and weird. But the Lord in His grace and mercy, and because the best thing is to be loved when we don't deserve it, and to give us a place where we can have no pride, God loves us even though we don't deserve it. And we get heaven even though we don't deserve it. And are we humble people or are we proudful people don't just ask yourself but man ask those people closest to you hey am i proudful or if you're too proud to ask then i think you know the answer right or if you're too proud to hear the truth then i think you already know the answer but may we be people of humility genesis chapter 3 verse 17 now god turns to adam now he's giving him his sentencing because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." Husbands, don't ever use this verse on your wife, right? See, honey, this is why I can't listen to you. This is why I got to buy that boat. Because, right, look what happened to Adam when he listened to his wife. Men, it's important to know and remember that wisdom itself is personified as a woman throughout Scripture. 
And most of the times our wives are giving us incredible insight and wisdom and are protecting us from just acting like children and what we're doing. But every once in a while, our wives will make decisions or make plans out of emotion and out of being hurt and out of things that just aren't what God has for us. And it's important to note throughout Scripture, Eve is not the one that is held responsible for putting us in the mess that we're in. Throughout Scripture, says she was deceived, but Adam sinned. And man, when we get to heaven, it's going to be the same thing. When you get to heaven, you're the one that stands in front of God saying, what did you do with your wife? How did you love her? How did you care for her? How did you raise your kids? Did you tell them about me? Are they here in heaven with you, right? That's the reality of when we get to heaven. It's not, all right, honey, just like you ruled everything, yeah, get up there, talk with God for me. It's not going to be the case. It's not going to be the case. Men, we're going to be the ones standing before God saying, what have you done with the talents that I have given you? We must hear from God through His Word and His Holy Spirit. And then we must relay what God has shown us in our lives, to our wives, to our families, and in our homes. Men, do you have a relationship with God? Can you read God's Word? Or is the wife the spiritual person in the relationship? And sadly, in our sin and in our broken state, that's the reality, right? Thank God we're an anomaly. Our church has a lot of men in it. But most churches, they don't. They don't have that many men. They don't have that many men willing to serve or follow the Lord. Because as men, we are a lot less responsible, right? We're a lot less responsible. We're a lot crazier. And we are a lot more rash in our decision making. But if we want to be godly men... If you want to be men that have a legacy and that are a blessing to the Lord, to our wives, to our kids, to our bosses, to society itself, we need to be men of God and men of the Word. So I challenge you, I exhort you, study God's Word. Read it on your own. We know that Abraham and Sarah, they got into a pretty big mess when he listened to his wife. Sarah told Abraham literally to sleep with another woman and there are times when our wives, again, they are not making the right decisions. And we need to, as men, as Christ, in humility, say, Honey, that's not what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Not lording over them, not raising our voices at them, but in love and grace, being able to do it. And if you're here and you're not married, are you making those stands now? Because if you're not making those stands as a single person, you're not going to make those stands when you get married, right? The person that never works out and then they get into the boxing ring, okay, this is going to work. It's not going to work out. You never practiced it. You never did it. You never worked it out. So that's why now, man, if you're here and you're single, you're here and you're engaged, do all that you can to catch up on the wasted time and following and seeking the Lord. Because if you don't do it now, you're not going to do it later, right? In elementary, oh, I'll work harder when I get to middle school. In middle school, hey, I'll work harder when I get to high school. And I go, oh, I'll get it together when I get into college. Doesn't work out. So ultimately, we need to be seeking the Lord. And what God is really telling Adam is he's saying, because you listen to the voice of your wife instead of me, this is what's happening. And we need to be careful that we're not listening to other voices that are not God's voice. We live in a day and age where there's a lot of evil going on, but there's a lot of good things happening. A lot of people are seeking self-help movements and how can I help, how can I work harder, and be. those things are good, but they're not necessarily godly. There's some godly attributes to it, but if we find ourselves just following books of men or following good advice that's not godly, 
we can run into more trouble once again. We must have that relationship with God and asking Him, God, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me to do today? And we must be careful in allowing our wives or our spouse to become an idol in our lives. And we've seen that happen throughout church. That men, they'll give up the ministry or they'll give up church. They'll give up loving the Lord because the wife simply is not wanting to heed or love or obey. Jesus needs to be our first love and then our wives are to follow. And ladies, I challenge you, the best marriage you're going to be in is when your husband loves the Lord more than you. And when he's being biblical about the way he treats the Lord and he treats you and he treats the family. Robert Jameson, he says, what before his fall he did with ease and pleasure was not to be accomplished after it without painful and persevering exertion. Again, imagine everything was perfect. So when Adam wanted food, he just went and grabbed it and it was there. The garden was tended to, created by God. Adam had to make sure a perfect thing didn't get messed up. Right? I'll sign up for that job, right? Make sure this perfect thing doesn't get messed up. And family, sin always complicates life. Sin will always complicate our life. And yet the lie is that when we live righteous, people say it's a burden. When we live righteously and say, I'm not going to do this thing, people, they say that you're a hypocrite or that you're holier than thou. We were talking about this the other day. If you're at a wedding, you're with a couple buddies and you say, no, nah, I don't want to drink. If you say it's because I was a recovering alcoholic, everybody say, oh, good job, good job, good job. But if you say it's because I'm a Christian and I just don't want to drink, oh, man, you're holier than thou. You think you're better than me? And we need to live according to God and his word. We need to live righteously because that's the life of freedom. The life of freedom, there's hard work involved. You look at the, the world we live in, all the wars, all the freedom. It didn't happen by accident. It wasn't lazy men that made freedom in their nations. It was men that were willing to give their life. And we need to be willing to give our lives for the Lord. James chapter 1 verse 15, it tells us when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it tells us the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That every time we sin, what's going to be our paycheck, what's going to get direct deposited, what's going to be subpoenaed at our door is death. Each and every time, no matter how big or small we think it is, no matter how small of a mess up it is, it's going to be death. And we play with it. We mess with it. This is a little bit of arsenic, right? This is a little bit of rat poison. I think my stomach can handle it. Right? Let's see how much I can handle. Maybe one ounce, two ounce, five ounce. Are we willing to handle it? We'll be tenting our house uh, this week. And I was thinking, I was like, man, how much, how bad really is it to eat the food after it's in there? <laughs> like, will, will one popcorn kill me? Will three popcorn kill me? But that's the way we, we mess with sin, Right? If I talk with this person once, it's not going to really kill me. If I go further and further and further, it will lead to death. And again, was it really worth it for Adam and Eve to eat of the one thing they couldn't eat of? Look at what it cost them. It created sorrow for women. It created pain in pregnancy. It created pain in childbirth. Now there's a power battle for the head of the home. There's hard work involved in order to be able to eat. Thorns and thistles, before the garden it grew and it was perfect. Now thorns and thistles are what grow easier than food itself. 
Now sweat is involved and created. We live in Miami. You could blame it all on Adam and Eve, right? All the sweat. And eventually what it gave birth to was death. Was death. That God looked at Adam and said, hey, now because you've sinned, the very dust you came out of, that's where you're going to go. And it led to separation from perfection. Now we're going to see they have to be moved out of the garden. And the worst of all, it led to separation from God. And the same is true for us today. When you're faced with a decision that's sinful or not, and we all will be faced with that. Probably before we leave here today or on the way home, you call me by Sunday. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be put in a trial. But please remember, sin always causes more sorrow. It causes more pain. It causes a power battle. It causes more hard work. It causes sweat, death, and separation from God. Always going to happen no matter what. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. And that's all the bad news right there. But thank God there's good news, right? That's the gospel. That even though we deserve all this death, even though each of us, we've been here, where we are separated from God because of our sins and because of our disobedience, yet again, Christ has made a way for us. He's made a way to wash us clean of our sins, that no matter how much guilt you deal with, if you accept the Lord, you say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, will you forgive me? I love you, I'm going to live for you. He's willing to make you perfect and look at you perfect, as if you've never sinned. And imagine the freedom that is in there. Does anybody live with zero guilt, right? with zero regret? Yet that's what Christ is wanting to do in each and every one of us. Romans chapter 5, we'll read verse 12, and then we'll jump down to verse 17. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 17, For if by the transgression of the one death reigns through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And family, this is the good news, is that the Lord, He doesn't just look at us in our sin or our repeated sin, or our purposeful sin, but he looks at us in those states and he still says, hey, I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to love you. I'm not going to put you to death right now. And that day will come. You look at Samson, you look at different people in the Bible that there's a line that's invisible. And we don't know when our sin is going to begin to really cost us what it's fully capable of sucking from our lives and taking from our lives. We don't know when that line is, but my encouragement you don't have to worry about that line if you run towards the Lord and you give your whole life devoted to Him. You get to live in freedom and in peace and no worry or condemnation. That's the gospel. That's what the Lord has for us. Life can reign in us instead of death. And instead of being slaves to sin, we can choose to be servants and sons of God. 
Social media gets a pretty bad rep from uh, Christianity, but it's just a tool. It's just a tool, depending who you follow and what you look at, it's going to either be really, really bad or it might be good. Uh, but yesterday I was blessed. A pastor tweeted this out, and he gives us the differences between the first Adam and the last Adam, between Adam and between Jesus Christ. The first Adam was born of dirt. He was tempted, and he failed. He brought on a curse. He blamed his bride, and he died and was buried. The last Adam, our Jesus Christ, he is the eternal Son of God. He is tempted and yet victorious, and he became a curse for us and our sins. He took the blame for his bride, and he died and is now risen, and he's living, making intercession for each and every one of us. Family, isn't that good news? Shouldn't you leave here today with the biggest smile on your face? We should be walking around with the biggest smile on our faces. You don't have to be in hell for all of eternity. You don't have to be bound to sin forever. You have freedom. But are we living in that? Do you have joy? Do you have joy? Do you have a reality that this life is not our real life? This life is not our home. But soon we'll be going home. But are you preparing anything for eternity? We go back to Genesis chapter 3. Verse 20, now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Again, Adam here, many scholars believe that Adam here, he believes the prophecy that God gives. That there's one day going to be someone to crush the head of Satan. And now he believes in it, naming Eve the mother of all the living. And now verse 21, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. God sacrificing an innocent animal, probably a lamb, to cover Adam and Eve. Again, family, God is the one doing the work. God is hiding them and will one day take away their sin. And he's willing to take away our sin. We live, thank God, in the New Testament. None of us have to be going each day to the temple to murder or slaughter an animal to appease our sins. But now whenever we go to Jesus Christ, our sins are washed away hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness remember that guys there's no forgiveness unless we live and breathe and accept jesus as our lord and savior seek his word and follow him god here he's washing over the sins of adam and eve and it's important to note True salvation, God's the one that does all the work. God's the one that does all the work. Adam and Eve, in their best efforts, they picked fig leaves, right? Fig leaves, they have thorns, they have thistles, they have a sap which makes rashes and all these things. It's not a good choice for clothing, right? Not the best choice for underwear or anything like that. And this is their best effort to hide their sin. And that's what religion does. And many of us will say, no, I have a relationship and not religion. But we think our works make us holier or less holy. It's all the Lord. Verse 22, then the Lord said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eating and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. 
It truly takes a measure of faith to stay away from something just because somebody tells us or warns us. Whenever you see a wet paint, don't touch sign, right? It takes a great measure of faith to not touch the paint. And it's the same thing with us, that when people warn us of sin, when people warn us, hey, don't go down that path, don't touch that. You will get marked, you will get hurt. It takes faith to believe them. It takes faith to believe Jesus throughout the Bible when he tells us, do this, hey, don't do that. This is the best way. Don't go down this path. And we need this faith. But remember, there's a great price to pay for that sin, to be able to have that knowledge, right? There's a price to pay to find out if that paint is really wet or not. There's a price to pay to find out if that person really loves you or not. There's a price to pay to do sin, and you'll learn more, you'll know more, but there is a whole lot of bad to pay. The mercy of God in moving Adam and Eve out of the garden and away from the tree of life. Imagine living forever in an eternal state of sin, right? Horrible, horrible to think of. Some people, they want, I don't know if people really want it, but in the movies, people always talk about wanting to live forever, right? Being able to live forever. But man, being able to see everybody you care about and love die every 80 years, every 100 years, that get painful and miserable after a while. But the joy we have is that in heaven, we'll be living forever, but with no sin. We'll be living forever without the battle of the flesh and the spirit going on within us. We'll be living forever without any crying, without any pain. All the former things will be passed away. And this is the Lord. This is what he wants to do in us. Dr. Donald Barnhouse points out any angel of the lowest rank could have dealt with Adam. The flaming sword was pointed against Satan to keep him from destroying the way of access to the altar which God has set up. Whenever you see cherubim throughout the Bible, they're usually there to protect and guard man, the presence of God. You see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the Holy of Holies, you see it in the Ark of the Covenant, you see it in the book of Revelation in God's throne room. And what God is doing here is He's saying, Adam and Eve, you totally messed up, but I'm going to cover your sins and I'm willing to make a place where you can still come and meet with me. And I'm willing to put one of my top angels to protect that place. So family, will we fellowship with God today? When you go home tomorrow morning, are you willing to fellowship with God? He's made a way. He's protecting it with all that he has. And remember, the blessing is that not only do we get to fellowship with him in this life, but we get to fellowship with him for all of eternity. Don't get to heaven not knowing who God is, because you won't get into heaven, right? That's the whole point of it. You've got to have a relationship here and now. If not, there's a reason why the Bible says... Right? Lord, Lord, did I not do this and that in your name? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. So cultivate that relationship now. Don't show up to the party and they say, I don't know who you are. Call the cops, right? I don't know this guy. And don't be that person. Have that relationship with the Lord now. Spend time with him and in his word.